Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Okay, the rest of you can open your Bibles, please, to the book of Habakkuk in the Old Testament. If you don't have a Bible with you, we do have paperback Bibles underneath the chairs in front of you, and you can grab one of those Bibles and turn to page 457. It will be helpful and important for you to have a Bible open as we go through this small minor prophet. I want to let you know that next Sunday we'll be taking a short break from the Route 66 series to hear from Corey Schumacher. He'll be bringing the word to us next Sunday. Uh, Schedule conflicts have prevented us from bringing Corey before you here for the last couple of years. We've been hoping to get him here, and it's going to happen. Corey, of course, long-term member of this church, also team leader for CREW, and uh, we're very grateful for the service of CREW and for the staff and CREW students who have been part of this church for a long time. So Corey will be bringing the word to us next Sunday. Also, reminder, next Sunday, our Exploring New Life class begins. So if you're interested in learning more about membership here at New Life, uh, please sign up at the Welcome Center. And that class will start at 9 a.m. next Sunday. Also, very grateful to hear the good news about the Family Fun Night that happened on Friday night. Uh, We had 16 families come out and uh, understand everything went well. Everybody had a good time. Thanks to Jessica for organizing that and for all who helped uh, organize the Family Fun Night. Great time. Hopefully we'll see that happen more often. All right, the book of Habakkuk is what we're looking at here today. Um, Many Christians, many people uh, were shocked to discover uh, a few weeks ago that a guy named Joshua Harris, famous Christian author, uh, celebrity pastor, highly respected theologian, announced that he was divorcing his wife first and then just a couple days later announced that he was leaving the faith. And his words were this, I am not a Christian, he said. After all of these years teaching and standing strong for the Christian faith, he said, I'm not a Christian any longer. Uh, Just a couple days later, a guy named Marty Sampson, a um, lead writer for Hillsong, which is, uh, I believe, a church in Australia, but more known for the worship music that it produces. We sing Hillsong songs here at New Life. Marty Sampson came forward and um, didn't renounce his faith, but came forward and said that my faith is on incredibly shaky ground, like he's on the verge of turning his back on this Jesus that he's been singing about for so long. What Marty Sampson said was, I, I need answers, he said. I, I want answers to my questions. Uh, he listed some questions that he has, like why is it that we can have so much disease and cancer in the world and God won't do anything about it? How is it that so many people, millions and millions of people, can be sent to hell for just not believing in Jesus? How can this happen? How can this be? He says, I want answers to these questions. And he went on to say, one of the problems is is that nobody's talking about these things, he said. Now, I don't know if they're not talking about those things in his 
church, uh, every church, ought to be talking about these things because these are good questions, and they're questions that probably everybody in this room has had and maybe still does have. The church should talk about these things. One thing I know for sure is that the Bible talks about these things. And even more specifically, the book of Habakkuk talks about these things. Habakkuk is a minor prophet. As you know, we are working our way here through the Bible, going uh, through this Route 66 sermon series. We started in Genesis. We're headed toward Revelation. It's one sermon per Bible book. That's the idea. We've been here in the Minor Prophets for the last several weeks, and we've reached now this book of Habakkuk, um, or Habakkuk, as some say. I'm going to say Habakkuk, just so you know. That's how we'll pronounce it for this sermon. This book, written by Habakkuk, sometime between 630 and 605 B.C. Habakkuk wrote uh, at a time very close to when the Babylonians came in to exile Judah, as the prophets had been proclaiming. Um, Babylon is just kind of rising up in power at about the time that Habakkuk's ministry started. And we see in Habakkuk the main event being this dialogue that takes place between God and the prophet regarding some of these kind of difficult questions that believers often have. So what Habakkuk is doing here is sharing a vision He gets a vision of this dialogue, this conversation that he has with God, and he writes it in the pages of this book. The theme of Habakkuk, as is often the theme of the Minor Prophets, God's justice. We see that over and over again, and God's determination to punish evil. So Habakkuk here, very candidly, is dealing with some of the questions that perplex many of us as believers. And this morning, some of you today might be in a period of wrestling. Perhaps you find yourself now in a place of perplexity about your faith. Perhaps you're one who believes certain things about God, but what you believe about God doesn't match what you see in the world. And you can't make sense of it. And It's disturbing, it's troubling, and you wonder if you can hang on and if you should continue believing in this God if so much of what you see in the world doesn't seem to make sense. There's a very interesting account in John chapter 6 where Jesus is talking to his disciples and he begins to say some hard sayings. That's the phrase that is used, hard sayings. And many of the disciples are listening to Jesus and it says many of them turned away from him because they didn't like what he was saying. They had questions, those questions weren't answered, and so they walked away. We, we see here that Joshua Harris and Marty Sampson are not the first people to walk away from the faith. Even in the scriptures we see, in the ministry of Jesus, people turning away from Jesus. And in that account in John chapter six, Peter, excuse me, Jesus looks to Peter and he says to Peter, are you gonna leave too? Remember that? And perhaps that's the question that God is posing to you this morning. Joshua Harris left. Are you going to leave too? Are you going to leave? Probably wrestled with that. Should I leave? Can I get these questions answered? We're going to learn from Habakkuk here this morning. You can stand now for the reading of God's word if you're able. I'm just going to read the first few verses of Habakkuk. It's a short book, just three chapters. 
I think we'll actually be able to give a broad overview of the entire book because of its brevity. So we'll just kind of get started here with a short reading and move our way through the three chapters. So first four verses of chapter one, it says this, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. So we see this is a, a vision. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed. <clears throat> the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. God, we pray now asking for your spirit, the spirit of truth, the spirit of comfort to come and bring illumination to our hearts and minds as we study this prophet, the one that you spoke through by your spirit for our benefit today on this morning. Bless our souls, we pray, as we look at this word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Maybe seated. So three things we're going to see here from Habakkuk. Three chapters, three points. Works out very conveniently. Uh, we're going to kind of briefly overview the first chapter here by considering this. That this is what I think we, we learned to begin with is that God would say to you, if you're one who is carrying some heavy burdens and perplexed by your faith, is to offer up your complaint. Offer up your complaint to God. What is Habakkuk's complaint? We see this at the very beginning. I just read verse 2, verse A, uh, first part of verse 2. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? This is Habakkuk's complaint. He's been crying out to God and he feels like God is not responding so much so that he wonders if God even hears. And here's the problem in Habakkuk's mind is he is a resident of Judah and he has seen a great spiritual decline in Judah. There was a great revival that broke out under a guy named Josiah. There was things moving in the right direction, but since then things have turned backward and sin has been rampant in this place. And so that's what Habakkuk is enumerating here, violence that he is seeing in verse 2. There's no justice, he says in verse 4. Also in verse 4, the law is paralyzed. The word of God is not going forth. The righteous are being surrounded by the wicked, verse 4. And so Habakkuk's complaint or his big question here is in verse 3. He says, why is it? God, that you're watching, you're looking, you can see all things, and you know the wickedness that's going on in Judah, but you just idly look at it. You're not doing anything about it, God. Why do you sit there and watch all the evil in this world, and you don't act? I mean, that's really the heart of the question a lot of us have. It's probably the heart of the question that Marty Sampson has. All the disease in the world, the people who go to hell, and God doesn't seem to be doing anything about it in his mind. And that's the nature of Habakkuk's question here. And we might have the same question. We look at our world and we see you know, one shooting after another, right? I mean, the shooting in El Paso a little while ago, a shooting in Dayton, Ohio. We hear about this 
opioid epidemic. We see children caught up in the foster system longing for good parents. They can't find good parents. We see the Christian faith upon which our nation was at least influenced, a very strong foundation for our nation. We see it disregarded and ignored and marginalized. And we look at our world and we might say the very same thing that Habakkuk is saying. How long are we going to cry to you, O Lord? And you won't even hear, you won't do anything about these things. That's what Habakkuk is saying. And that's what many of us are saying as well. Well, God answers this complaint in verses 5 through 11. And what God says is, Habakkuk, I have a plan. Here's what I'm going to do. I, I agree with you. Judah is guilty. They are um, worthy of condemnation. And I'm going to do something about it. And so in verse 6, he says, I'm raising up the Chaldeans. Chaldeans is just a, another word for Babylonians. So God is saying, I'm going to raise up this nation called Babylon, and I'm going to bring Babylon in to punish Judah. So there you go, Habakkuk. I've got a plan for dealing with this. But in Habakkuk's mind, this creates another problem. Because what we see here is that the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, are brutal people. So verses 6 through like 10 or 11 is describing how horrible the, the Babylonians are. Verse 6, they're a bitter and hasty nation. Verse 7, they're dreaded. dreaded. Verse 8, they're more fierce than wolves. Uh, verse 9, they all come for violence. They gather captives. They take prisoners. This is a brutal nation, Babylon is. And what God is saying to Habakkuk is, that's the nation that I'm going to raise up to punish Judah. But Habakkuk's response is, wait a minute, that doesn't help God. And so Habakkuk's second complaint begins in verse 12 through the rest of the chapter. And Habakkuk's issue here is, is this. In Habakkuk's mind, he's thinking, I can totally understand, God, how you would use a righteous and godly nation to punish Judah. But why in the world would you use a brutal, fearsome, violent, wicked nation like Babylon to punish Judah? I don't get that, Habakkuk says. I, I, don't, I don't understand. He says it precisely in verse 13. You, speaking to God, <clears throat> you who are of purer eyes than to see evil, you cannot look at wrong. You're a pure and holy God, but why do you idly look at traitors, the Babylonians, and are silent when the wicked, the Babylonians, swallow up the man more righteous than he? That's Judah. Habakkuk acknowledges that Judah has been sinful, but they're nowhere nearly as sinful as Babylon. And that's Habakkuk's problem. Why would you use a wicked nation to judge a nation less wicked? There are certain things that Habakkuk believes about God. There are assumptions that he's making. There's expectations that he has. And he looks at the world and he sees what God plans to do and he doesn't get it. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't match his expectations. This is not the way it's supposed to work. That's what Habakkuk is saying. And you've all been there. I've been there. You see the things, the way things work out in the world, in, in your life, and you think, this is not the way it was supposed to be. 
This is not how I planned it. This is not how I anticipated it. How did I wind up here? That's Habakkuk's complaint. And one way we can take comfort from this is that we don't get any sense that God is rebuking Habakkuk for his complaint. We get the idea here that this is something that God welcomes, that he longs for his people to come and pray to him, to be honest, to be candid, to offer up your complaint. If you're one right now today, you're battling with various perplexities, your faith is on shaky ground maybe, like Marty Simpson's, I just want you to know that that doesn't make you a bad Christian. That doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. That doesn't mean that you're unusual or weird. In fact, you're in really good company. Habakkuk, number one. Job, number two. Remember, we've been through Job. Job had many of the very similar same kinds of questions. Jeremiah in the book of Lamentations. This is actually the third time in our Route 66 series that we've been dealing with this kind of issue. The psalmists over and, <coughs> over, and over again are offering up complaints and laments to God. It's okay, friends. If you're confused, it's okay if you're perplexed. It's okay if you don't get everything. It's okay if certain things bother you. How can they not, when you look at the world and see the way things work? How, how, can, how can a soldier go overseas and fight and be completely kept from harm and then come home and get in a car and die in a car accident? How, how, does, that, how does that happen? How, how does a business owner who tries so hard to be honest and above reproach and to produce a good product, but things just never seem to work out and he's just always on the verge of bankruptcy. And then across the street, there's the business owner, cheating, lying, producing an inferior product, and yet somehow profits are booming. What, what is going on there? How do we make sense of that? How is it that there are children who are born into families with parents who abuse them? Parents who probably have no right to be parents. And then there are other couples who would long to be a parent. And they would be great parents. And they can't even have one child. Why is that? How is it that some parents can raise their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord and set forth a godly example and teach the gospel to them for years after years after years and then the child grows up and turns his back on the Lord and walks away. That's not the way this is supposed to work. That's not what's supposed to happen. You're a single person. You've been keeping yourself pure. You've been sexually chaste in your life because you're saving yourself for your spouse and God never sends a spouse. What's going on there? Doesn't make sense, does it? Habakkuk looks, he sees the world not matching up with what he knows to be true about God, and all of us can identify with that. And what God would say is offer up your complaint. Go to the Lord, bring it to him. Lay it at his feet. The second thing we find here is the response to this in chapter 2, which is to walk by faith. Offer your complaint to God, first of all, but then be prepared to walk by faith. God has promised to Habakkuk here that judgment is coming. The Babylonians, the Chaldeans, they're going to come and they're going to judge Judah. But the question is, when is this going to happen? Habakkuk receives the message from God, but he doesn't know when. And so chapter 2, verse 3 
you see Habakkuk says, the vision awaits its appointed time. So again, this dialogue is taking place in a vision, but it's awaiting its appointed time. It's awaiting the time when it's going to be fulfilled. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. But if it seems slow, so in other words, Habakkuk is not seeing the fulfillment of God's promise here. And so he says, wait for it. It will come. It will not delay, but delay, but wait for it. And then he moves into verse 4, and we see this very famous verse in Habakkuk. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, probably referring to the Babylonians. But the righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. This is an important verse in the New Testament. It's cited in Hebrews 10, in Galatians 3, and in Romans 1.17. A very important verse verse. Maybe you remember the story of Martin Luther. I've told it many times here. Remember Martin Luther was traumatized by the phrase righteousness of God. Traumatized by that phrase because in Luther's mind what that meant was that there was a standard of righteousness that he had to perform in order to please God and be accepted by, by God. That he from within himself had to produce this righteousness that he could then offer up to God like a spiritual resume and say, okay, God, now you can accept me and love me and accept me into heaven. That's what Luther thought when he saw that phrase, righteousness of God. But there came a time when Luther was studying the book of Romans and he came across chapter 1, verses 16 to 17. And this is how this passage reads. Paul says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the, there's that phrase, righteousness of God is revealed. And so Luther's reading this and he's like, wait a minute, maybe the righteousness of God is not something that I'm supposed to produce. Maybe it's something that God is producing an offering to me. Maybe it's not up to me to be good enough to please God. Maybe what God has done is accomplish righteousness and then offered it to me. And when he saw that, I mean, his eyes were open. He was changed. That's what gave rise to the Protestant Reformation 500 years ago. But the passage goes on and it says, this is a righteousness that is by faith. See, it's not something we produce. It's not something we do. A righteousness by faith from first to last, just as it is written. And Paul quotes Habakkuk 2.4. The righteous will live by faith. So you see how central that verse is in the New Testament. The righteous will live by faith. What this is is a description of the starting point of the Christian life. It's when you come to realize that your righteousness is not good enough. Your performance is not good enough. Your morality is not good enough. There's only one thing good enough to make you acceptable to God, and it's a righteousness that's got to come from outside of you, not from inside. And it's a righteousness that Jesus Christ accomplished in his perfect life, in his sacrificial death, in his glorious resurrection. And it's received, not achieved by you. Received by faith alone. That's the starting point of the Christian life. That's where it all begins. When you kind of, that dawns on you, that's what we can say is basically conversion. You're a Christian now. But here's the thing. The role of faith doesn't stop at that point. 
it, it continues. Every Christian is called to exercise faith every single day. Every hour of every day. Every minute of every hour. We're called to live by faith. Galatians 2.20. Paul says this, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body on earth, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's the description of the Christian life. We're all called to walk, live by faith. And this all comes out of this verse here in Habakkuk 2.4. So notice what this is not saying. Habakkuk 2.4. The righteous shall live by faith. This is not saying the righteous never ask questions. It's not saying the righteous never have their doubts. It's not saying the righteous don't get weary sometimes of trying to follow a God that they don't understand. That's not what it says. What it's saying is the righteous, the righteous person is not one who turns from God when their questions aren't answered. It's the one who clings to God when your questions aren't answered. That is a mark of righteousness. Righteousness is not the person who airs out his doubts on Instagram in some kind of demonstration of supposed courage or being real. God has no high regard for that. Yes, of course we have our doubts, we have our fears, but the righteous person is the one who lives by faith, who goes forward, who keeps following, who hangs on, even though your faith might be the size of a mustard seed. That's what the righteous do. They don't give up, they keep hanging on. D.A. Carson says this, this is the ultimate test of our knowledge of God. Is it robust enough that when faced with excruciating adversity, it may prompt us to lash out with hard questions, yes, but it won't permit us to turn away from God. When we suffer, there will sometimes be mystery. Will there also be faith? That's the question. Will there be faith in the adversities that you deal with? I went to a wedding a couple summers ago in Birmingham, Alabama. I'd never been to Birmingham before, didn't know my way around. Uh, rehearsal dinner was on Friday night. Rehearsal dinner was over, and it was time to go back to my hotel. And, of course, I have no idea how to get back to my hotel. Now, this was just a couple of years ago, and so, yes, there were iPhones, and I had my iPhone, and so you know what I did. I dialed in the address of the hotel and let the phone tell me where to go. So... I'm driving, it's nighttime, it's dark, and the directions that the thing was giving me just did not seem right. I mean, I was going through neighborhoods, residential neighborhoods, taking all these quick, bizarre left and right-hand turns. It, I, I felt so lost. It seemed like this has to be wrong. I know these things aren't always right. I was on the verge of turning it off and starting again or getting out of my car and asking somebody, how do I get to the Hampton Inn? But I just kept driving by faith. And all of a sudden, I kind of turned left and went up this hill and realized I was being brought in the back way to the Hampton Inn. It didn't bring me in the front way. It brought me through a neighborhood and into the, the back way. And 
I made it to my destination. And it could be that God is kind of leading you through the back way right now. Might be leading you through some neighborhoods, down some roads that seem confusing, that make you wonder, is this the right way? Am I going the right direction? God and his word and his spirit is able to get you to your destination when you walk by faith. And that's God's instruction here to Habakkuk. You don't know when this promise is going to be fulfilled, Habakkuk, but here's what the righteous do. They walk by faith. Third thing, wait on God. The third thing that we're called to do here is to wait on God. Habakkuk offers up his complaint in chapter 1. The the world is not operating as he wants it to, and so he offers this complaint. We get to chapter 3, and everything changes for Habakkuk here. His entire attitude is altered, and what he does through chapter 3 is he meditates on the greatness and majesty and glory of God. Verse 3, his splendor covers the heavens. Verse 6, he measured the earth. He shook the nations. Uh, Verse 10, the mountains saw you and, and writhed. Verse 11, the sun and the moon stand still in their place under your power. Verse 13, You went out for the salvation of your people and for your anointed. And so Habakkuk is reflecting on all of these things. And suddenly he realizes that this must be a God worth waiting on. Even though I don't see the resolution to my questions. So he says in uh, chapter, uh, excuse me, verse 16, the end of verse 16. Notice how Habakkuk expresses this. I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. In other words, God has promised that Babylon's going to come. I don't see it happening. doesn't make sense to me, but God has promised, and so I'm going to wait for it to happen. That's his resolution. I am going to wait. And here's what he does while he waits. And, and this is really the remarkable thing as we get to the end of this book, verses 17 to 19. Some of the most beautiful words in all of Scripture. And what Habakkuk says is here, he, he imagines the worst scenario that could possibly happen. He, he conceives of the most disappointing and troublesome things he can imagine. Remember, this is a very agricultural society, so these things might not seem that bad to us today, but they were devastating then. And what he says is this. He says, though the fig tree should not blossom, verse 17, nor fruit beyond the vines... The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet even when all of these things are true, Habakkuk says, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. While he waits, he's going to rejoice in God. And if we could put this in maybe some words that might fit current circumstances today, what he might have said is, if I don't get that dream job, if I never get married, if I never have children, if I never get much money, 
if I'm not recognized like I think I should be, if I'm not healed of my disease, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. You read that and it's like, I mean, how could that even be possible? How can that be possible? It is possible. I mean, I know it's happened in the lives of believers. Some of you know about Johnny Erickson Tata. She's been paralyzed in a wheelchair for 50 years, 52 years, I think now, as a result of a diving accident many years ago. And uh, she prayed and prayed and prayed for God to heal her. She went to healers, faith healers, looking to be healed, and waited and waited and waited, and, and God said no and did not heal her. And so Johnny says this, a no answer to my request for healing has meant, here's what it's meant for her in her Christian life. It's meant a love for the lost, increased compassion, stretched hope, an appetite for grace, an increase of faith, a happy longing for heaven, a desire to serve, a delight in prayer, and a hunger for his word. Oh, bless the stern school master that is my wheelchair. Now, you might not have the faith of Johnny Erickson Tata. You might not have the, the fortitude of Johnny Erickson Tata. But one thing I know is if you're a Christian, you have the same Savior as Johnny Erickson Tata. You have the same Lord. You have the same God who ever lives and pleads for you. Because isn't it interesting that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he had a question too. Do you remember that? Jesus had a question for God. It went like this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Me, your son, the one who has lived perfectly, the one who has always done your will, the one who has submitted to your law, the one who has come to die for sinners. Why have you forsaken me? And there's no answer. So here's one thing you can know. Whatever your perplexity is, whatever your trouble is, you have a Savior who has been there. Knows what it's like not to hear from God. But we know what happened, right? Jesus was raised up from the grave in a glorious bodily resurrection. And now we know why that had to happen because the Father had to turn his back from Jesus so that sin could be paid for, so that the wrath of God could be poured out on him so it doesn't have to be poured out on you. This was what was necessary for your salvation and for mine. It had to happen this way. And now we know that. And the promise for you and for me is that our present sufferings are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us one day. And in the meantime, we wait and we walk by faith. We wait and we walk by faith. Remember Jesus, again, going back to John 6, he says to Peter, after all these people had turned away, Jesus says, you're going to turn away also, Peter? And Peter's answer was, Lord, where else will we go? You have the words of eternal life. And I would submit to you also 
if you're in a place of wrestling and you're thinking my faith is on shaky ground and you're thinking, I don't know if I want to do this anymore, let me just ask you, where else are you going to go? Who else has the words of eternal life? Nobody. It's only in Jesus. So wait on him. Walk in faith. Father, thank you for your word, for the honesty and candidness of your word. Lord, I pray for those carrying heavy hearts, those who are overwhelmed now with sorrow and perplexities and confusion. Please give them faith, give them hope, give them love, and finish the work, Lord, that you started in them. In Jesus' name we pray.